I'm Jack. I'm a compulsive overeater. Oh, this will be a real interesting. Uh, this will be interesting. <laughs> There's so many people in here. I would almost for today rather not be here. Um, I, I have to be. I mean, this is going to be a, a challenge. Uh, no, not not you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I. These are the people that I love, and these are the people that love me, and these are the people who know me, and. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's, uh, that's scary. I do a lot better when I'm going to some place where I don't know anybody. I always tell the truth from the podium, but it's just a lot easier to kind of uh, not edit, but you know, lead with what I want to lead with. And um, I was just reading some literature this morning in another 12-step program, and it just, it's all 12-step stuff, and it talked about a fourth step, and it talked about everything that gets included and how important it is to be honest and real and searching and fearless and all that stuff. So... Uh, just real quick, uh, I've been in program 34 years. I never, I really never intended to be here or anywhere 34 years. I didn't think I was going to live to be 34, to be honest. Um, my mom died when she was uh, 44, and my sister apparently thought she would only live until she was 44. I never thought I'd live that long because I was fat, and I just never thought that fat people uh, uh, lived long. You don't see a lot of, you know, 800 pounds, 73-year-olds. Um, and so when I was young, I was different. I was very different. I felt different and I looked different. I had a really bad uh, uh, crew cut, really bad crew cut. And I was fat, <laughs> as opposed to a good crew cut. Uh, and I was fat. I was fat in elementary school. And I went to elementary school right here at uh, Fairfax and, uh, and Third Street. Um, thought it was all about that, not farmer's market, the place where people meet. They met at Hancock Park Elementary School is where they met. Um, and I was fat, and I couldn't do the rings already, the Farcopta rings. Um, and I never understood why it was so dang important to them that I do the rings. <laughs> I'm Jewish, and I figured, nobody needs rings, but least of all, Jewish people. They don't need to climb on bars. Um, and so, but I was fat, and I felt it. I felt different. Um, my body wasn't developing like I thought the other boys' apostrophe yes, were. And I went to junior high and I got to have visual proof. Visual proof. Because you have to take off your shirt in junior high. And like change clothes in that dang locker room. And um, it was humiliating. It was just embarrassing. I was pale. Because by the way, I didn't take off my shirt outside from age 10 to age 30. 20 years. Not, not with sex, if I could help it. And not outside and I'd swim with a t-shirt, I'd go to the beach with a t-shirt, I'd go to the swimming pool with a t-shirt. If asked, I had a skin condition. Nobody ever asked me what condition. And I'm thinking in retrospect, it would have been too much. Lots of skin. And, uh, and I didn't like the stretch marks. It didn't, it didn't matter. I didn't like the stretch marks. So then I graduate junior high, and I feel that things were not magnificent for me in my home. My sisters turned out to be tall, blonde, normal, natural, happy. She's raised two kids who are now PhDs. She's our grandmother. She's retired. This is my baby sister. And very normal. And there was nothing about me or my life that was normal. Absolutely nothing. And as if I didn't have enough going on, Mother's Day 67, uh, my first semester, a couple months into high school, my mom died. And that made me the only person I knew with a dead parent. I didn't know any other people. In the neighborhood I grew up, there were no divorces. See, there was a time when we could still hold our head up high and say, in our community, we have no alcoholism, we have no child stuff, we have no, no uh, spousal stuff, we have nothing. We have lawyers, but we have nothing else. And, um, 
And <laughs> it's the 11th commandment in the Old Testament, the very, very rarely uh, read uh, Old Testament part. And so, um, so now I have, I can't tuck in my shirt tails. Not like this when they're supposed to be left out, but the kind with the things and they're supposed to be tucked in. I had a crew cut. Um, I was getting really fat and I had a dead mother, which uh, did not stand me well in the eyes of uh, the women I looked at from afar or their mothers. Uh, they were fine with me. I was a you know, good enough guy, but their mothers, that was tough. And so I got to college. By the way, uh, all the price of being fat, I was on Weight Watchers. By the time I was out of high school, I had a 50-pound weight loss in high school, a 30-pound weight loss in junior high. I was on Metrical, which is a vile, vile liquid. <laughs> no, no, that's the cookies. I'm sorry. The Sego was the vile liquid. The Metrical was the vile cookies. Uh, made of uh, chocolate and sawdust and it was terrible, it was terrible. I lived within blocks of the Weight Watchers main office and uh, so I got to go in there every now and again and look at the pictures of before and after. 8,000 pounds, you know, a buck and a quarter and I never, I thought this is, this is, this is all, it's Hollywood. It's all bull, it's all bull. Not the before pictures, the after pictures. These people were never like that. I wasn't going to be like that. I hit 305 at 18. Uh, so now I've already you know, kind of had a mediocre uh, elementary school, junior high, and high school experience for various reasons. And then I go to college. And the coup de gras allows you to, I hit 300 pounds, which takes, you know, kind of dating a little bit out of uh, the likely possibility. Um, and I was, all I was doing, I went to UCLA for three years because uh, I was in a hurry. I have no clue where I was going. Uh, or why I was going there, but I was in a hurry to get there. And just to knock the eating out, I just, these are the kinds of things I remember. In Hebrew school and elementary school, uh, <laughs> there's a fellow who early on I realized we wrestled in Hebrew school at like 12 years old. And I, he, his first accusation of me was that I sat on him during the wrestling. Because uh, <laughs> I could. Because I could. Um, and we have a 10-minute break. And in that 10 minutes, we were not supposed to go to the local deli on 3rd Street over here, Ratner's Deli. We were not supposed to go there. Because you can't go there and eat and be ready to go back to class in the 10 minutes we had. Well, we weren't going to listen to that. And the kinds of things, to this day, Michael and I can rattle off the items we bought at 12 years old. I mean, I can taste them today. I haven't had these foods in at least the 34 years I've been here. Uh, every day was like that. Every day was like that. And the other one I remember is faking being... Um, Having a nervous switch. Uh, uh, the the uh, fat burger on La Cienica uh, at two or three in the morning in the early 70s, I guess. Uh, I was the only uh, white person there at two in the morning and I was scared. And so I started talking to myself. I didn't really start talking to myself, but I, it's Hollywood. <laughs> I was talking to myself out loud, loudly, and I had a twitch. <laughs> And believe me, everybody left me alone. It worked. I, nobody bothered me. Nobody got real close. Nobody, nobody messed with my food. And they just, and you know what? It worked. Because that's what was important. Uh, you know, I had a goal. And I wasn't going to let anybody get in my way. And the last, I think the last before story was, I used to play poker uh, in grad school with a bunch of guys. And one Saturday night at about 10 o'clock, I had had it because Pico and Robertson had fresh donuts that came out at 10 o'clock. And you could sell them from like three blocks away at the big town market. And uh, so at about 5 to 10, I faked a bad, bad stomachache. And uh, I was aching. It was, I had stomachache. I was aching for the donuts. And um, 
I got in line, waiting. Five minutes later, the only other fat guy in the poker game gets in line about four people behind me, probably with some other excuse like, I don't know, his mother was calling or he, he, he had to go home and tuck in the baby, which he didn't have. Some nonsense. But we both walked up in line on a Saturday night, ditching the poker game, ditching our fellows so we can get in line for, you know, newly made buttermilk donuts. Uh, like that one was going to be the last one I was ever going to have. Um, so that's the way my life went. Um, I went to law school. Uh, you know, like you breathe, you go to law school. So I went to law school, and uh, for three years, I ate, played pinball machine, drank uh, vodka, and uh, took Valium, which I stole from my father, who had stolen it from my mother's stash, who had been dead for years. So uh, we don't talk about things in our family. I'm the adult child of a Jewish accountant, and we, 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 deal with our, we deal with our brain, but we don't deal with this stuff at all. We didn't know my mother was dying. I think that set a tone. Uh, my mother was a little harsh on me at times, and when she was dying, my dad decided not to tell us, or her. So one day she was there and sick, but again, goldfish die, and, and uh, grandparents die, and dogs die. But mothers and fathers, they don't die. I mean, they die when, when they get old. So one day I have a, a partially normal life, and then the next day I don't. So then I go to law school, and I, I had just lost 100 pounds at UCLA, and I gained it all back in law school. And there's nothing more demoralizing than thinking from, and the line is, it's, it's a canned line, but I remember saying it one day, and it fit. I went to UCLA, I lost 100 pounds. I got a new briefcase, a new car, a new suit, and a new girlfriend. And everything seemed fine. It was fine. I had no symptom. Ergo, I had no problem. It made sense to me. I'm, I'm not an idiot, you know. Waist size, that, that, that tells you something. And I gained it all back. I gained back 100 pounds in the first year and a half of law school. And that didn't kill the pain. It didn't work. So I started drinking uh, vodka because it tasted good in orange juice and didn't smell much. And didn't, you couldn't see, it, it looked like water. And then Valium because, I don't know why. Because I could get it. And uh, three years of this. And how I graduated, I don't know. And then I ran out of gas. I just ran out of gas. I couldn't, I couldn't go up the hill anymore. The car was just stalled. And so I didn't take the bar, which is about as humiliating as not going to law school when you're from the community I was from. And the stupid ones went to UCLA or SC, like I did UCLA, and the smart ones went to good schools. So there was a lot of uh, pressure, not in my house, but in my community. And so I graduated, and I couldn't tell anybody that I, I, I just didn't have the capability of function. I couldn't do it. So I wound up looking in the paper for jobs where I could wear a suit and drive a car and carry a briefcase. So I was looking at white-collar sales jobs, uh, anything where I could... I couldn't do anything. I thought I had no skills, I had no talents, I had no education for anything but the thing I didn't want to do. So I started selling life insurance, um, which is more demoralizing than weighing 300 pounds, actually. It was a, 300 pounds was a piece of cake compared to selling life insurance. And the only reason I got into the field, to be real honest... An early God shot, I thought, before I knew what they were. Some guy who cut my hair said to me, I got a friend who's fat and rich, and you now are thin and broke. Maybe we can make the shit off, make the match, and you guys could like, help each other. And four and a half years later, I, he was still fat, and I was still broke. So it gets to be uh, end of 81. I'm, I'm done. I'm fried. I'm walking around Century City looking at the tall buildings, saying, how do people jump out of them? How do you jump out of a building where you can't open the windows? And with a law degree, with a, with a valedictorian father, I'm sitting around trying to figure out how you break out of a building to jump. 
This is not the, as, uh, this is not the, as Scott would talk about, Scott R., this is not the height of mental health. Um, but that was the way I thought. And I kept it to myself because this is not the kind of stuff you can share with your people, you know. Uh, you just, you don't share about this stuff. So, uh, I called the next boss and Betty was the only Jewish person and the only female in management at my last insurance job and she told me about some organization that she knew nothing about called Overeaters Anonymous. She said, I heard about it from a friend of a friend. I don't know anything about it. Maybe it'll do something. And so I, I went to Beverly Hills High School on a Monday night um, and I didn't... I can't say I felt at home exactly in that moment. Uh, some of the people in this room were at that meeting. And um, it felt comfortable-ish. Very foreign concept to me. I had been in bowling leagues. That felt comfortable. I had been in uh, conservative temples. That felt uh, comfortable. But I had, this, this was an odd construct. Believe me. I had just, I'd been in therapy a little bit. Um, but it was an odd construct. And the God stuff, I must admit. I've heard people from the podium say, I was raised Jewish, but God? We didn't have a God. We didn't have God. And you know, I was musically Jewish. I was culturally Jewish. And I heard a phrase recently, I was a deli Jew. And so I knew the food, I knew some of the songs, I knew the dances, but we never talked about God. And so uh, that was a component in, in my background. So I come here, you guys are talking about God, which was not exactly a turn on, but a few things were. Uh, number one, you guys welcomed me back. And I joke about this, it's not really totally true, but there weren't a lot of places I was getting invited back in those days, because I, I, was, I, mean, I really was a pain in the ass, uh, uh, even to myself. But what's the line? You know, wherever I went, there I was. I couldn't get away from me, but you guys could. But in this program, you didn't. And you gave me phone numbers, and you said to keep coming back. See you here tomorrow night. So I came back the next night. But I must admit, for anybody who's has... By the way, I represent nobody but me. And I want you to make that very, very clear. I was asked to lead a meeting, many, a, a retreat, many years ago. And they said, but we have some personal things we want to say to you. We don't want you to weave in so much Jewishness. <laughs> and I said, you want me to not mention that I'm male and not mention that I'm uh, heterosexual? What else do you want me to... This is how my program has come together. It's got a little bit of my Judaism in it, past and present. It's got a little bit of uh, the South family neurosis, which I don't think... It's in the fabric, so it's not going to get woven out. I have a... <laughs> it's wherever. It's in, in the pores. Um, um, I have my career, which is on the periphery more than some of this. I can't not be that. I can't have that. I, I'm just not capable of, of not weaving that in. So, you know, if you like what you hear and it's valuable to you, use it. If it's not, please. You know, uh, my fr the first meeting I went to, the speaker was a guy named Gary L. And Gary said at the end of the meeting, and I think for him appropriately, if you didn't like what you hear today, come back next week, there'll be some other psychotic talking about other stuff. And in Gary's case, I mean, it was, that, was a, that, was a very, that was a very relevant disclaimer. Um, so I came back on Tuesday, but on, on Monday night when I left, Beverly Hills High School, I think I was living in Santa Monica, and I wove between Santa Monica and uh, Wilshire Boulevard to make my last stop ever, I swear to God, my last stop ever, 25 cents, which in those days got you a bag of M&Ms or a bag of uh, ruffled potato chips. My last one ever until the 7-Eleven on Wilshire, until the liquor store in Santa Monica. And I went back and forth like a friggin' a ping pong ball in a, in, a, in a Chicago windstorm. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> this just comes out. Don't. don't, don't. Um, 
But I only made about 9 or 10 stops. 25 cents, only 140, 150 calories each time. So for my uh, nighttime stack, it was about 1,500 calories, and then I could go to sleep. And I sat down in my, I, again, you can sing along if you've heard it, in my Naugahyde chair with the six shift on the side and the, uh, and, the, uh, and the drapes down and the phone off the hook, which was our way in those days of disconnecting from life. TV on. I got to throw it in. And the Naugahyde chair, I always wondered, what's Naugahyde? It's the hide of a naga, I guess, but I, I, I don't know what it is. But I woke up in the morning with exactly like I'd expect I would. I had M&M stuff here, and I had crumbs here. And something changed. It's like that song by the spiral staircase. I don't remember what day it was, and I don't remember what time it was. All I know is something was different at that moment. And to cut to the chase, I've been around 34 years. The only thing I've done consistently is I've never left. What I'm doing again now is writing because my sponsor busted me four-ish years ago uh, about uh, not being specific with my food. So I got a food sponsor. And I must say to the program and God and my credit or whatever the I haven't missed one bite of food into that note to the food sponsor. And I haven't missed one day in the four years or three years or ten years, whatever the heck it's been. I, I, you get old, you forget stuff. Uh, so I, I, I write every day. He sent me to another program because I think one day spontaneously my non-Jewish sponsor yelled out, I'm sick of hearing you fetch. And um, <laughs> where would that come from? So I'm now in another program where what I'm fetching about to him, what I was fetching about to him is appropriately fetched over there. And so I'm in another program now. And I'm reading virtually every day. Virtually every day. And when I read, I write virtually every time. And I'm talking maybe not as good as Don P with his, I don't know, 93%, but pretty damn close. And if, I, if, if, I, if it's a day, I read. And if I'm supposed to read, I write. And if I write, I read it to him. And the other program, I, I text it to the, to the other sponsor. I got another sponsor. Um, I'm powerless over food. My life is unmanageable. That's, that's a no-brainer. I did struggle with the second and third step. And so my second sponsor which was the most inappropriate sponsor in the whole world for me, because when she asked me a couple times to sponsor me, I said, you understand. Let's get this straight. A, in case you haven't noticed, you're female and I'm male. In case you haven't noticed, I've been around longer than you. A little arrogance. Number three, you were never morbidly obese. And number four, we used to date. Now, these are... <laughs> and she said, keep coming back. And I went... <laughs> I went, I went for a couple of weeks without a sponsor, and that lousy rodent came up to me again a couple of weeks later and was ruining my serenity by saying, you're hurting, and you need help. And if you want, I'll guide you through the steps. And I surrendered yet again, and she sponsored me for six years. And she exposed me to what I never got from the first sponsor. First sponsor, we talked about weight a lot and therapy and diets and women. With she, we talked about higher power. And what I got to do was massage that second and third step with her help that came to know a source of information within me that if accessed and honored and implemented and lived by would allow me to function at a higher level than I've ever functioned at before. A higher self. A higher power. And in the second step, if that's my definition, then the third step, then that's what I turn my life and my will over to. I've done a few fourth steps. I will do them again when assigned. That's fine with me. Uh, first step, I've read them to, to, to my sponsor, and you know what? I'll read them to a fellow. It, it, it doesn't much matter. Ken tells a story. He was on a sales call, and he's in the middle of nowhere, and he goes to a meeting, and just before the meeting, there's one little guy sitting there, and he says, i gotta, I got to talk to you. i got to talk to you. Just listen. I need to be heard. I need a benevolent witness. Hear me. He tells him all his service, all his problems. He, he gets out everything, and at the end of this thing, the guy turns to him and says, Señor, no hablas inglés. 
And you know what? He says it didn't matter. He felt better. I, I didn't know what this guy thought, but he felt better. So I get it out that way, six and seven. I'm talking to God. I'm talking to my father. My dad died four years ago when he came to the program. I didn't like him very much. It's amazing how in the first 15 years of the program, how much he changed. It's amazing because... And he was an accountant. They don't do that. They don't change. Um, but I liked him by the end. I did his eulogy. I loved him. I visited him. I wrote to him. I called him. I talked to him. And I saw him a couple hours before he died. And when I asked him if he needed anything, he said, no thanks. He was, he was, he was dying that night. And I said, is there anything I can do? And he said, you, you've done it. You've done it. And when that's the last time I saw him, I hugged him, I kissed him. I thought I'd see him the next day. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. And, um, and he died a couple of hours later. And you know what? I didn't have that experience with my mom. Uh, that's because of this program. Uh, I make amends fairly regularly because I'm very, you know, I'm, to say I'm imperfect is, a, is an understatement. And I make a lot of mistakes. I, challenged, I didn't challenge a guy, but I had a little emotional upheaval in a bowling alley twice before a program when I'm getting into fights in bowling alleys. Two weeks ago, we were bowling a team that are a little uh, impaired. They're impaired. And they weren't moving fast enough for me. And I got in the face a little bit of one of them. And I, people are jumping in the middle like there's going to be a fight. He's not going to hit me. I'm not going to fight. That's... And I felt really bad. And while I was thinking about how badly I felt and what I should do and how badly I felt and what I should do, this son of a gun sticks his hand out and says, I'm sorry I snapped at you. So I thought, who's got mental health? Uh, I shook his hand, said no, I was wrong, worse and first. And we, we hugged each other, we both apologized, and we gave high fives for the next two and a half games of bowling. Um, and I'm here doing 12-step work. My relationship with my higher power, you, you, you'll hear about if you ask about um, it eludes me, it evades me, but you know what? Uh, I don't have contempt, and I am investigating, and I'm still here, and it's a long process. i got nowhere to go. I have nowhere I'd rather be. And if you're new, what does this have to do with weight and weight loss and stuff? I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a design for living. It's given me what nothing else ever did, and I've tried a lot of things. And so if you're new, I just hope you keep coming back. It'll happen sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but it always will materialize if we work for it. So uh, thank Don for asking me, and thank you for being here. This is time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. We are being recorded, so I'm to paraphrase or restate the question if asked. Um, are there any questions? Uh, the question was, how do I come up with a list in the eighth step? Um, since I've done the steps, I think three different times, three different ways. To be honest, I don't remember which was which. But often out of the fourth step, I think the one time I did it directly out of doing a conventional fourth step, I kept the list that I had written resentments on and took from there and started a, a list of people I was going to make amends to. The other time, I remember just spending days and days and days racking my brain and talking to my sponsor at the time about anything and everything. But I'll tell you how it works. Many of them come up. 
out of nowhere and at various times. Uh, 15 years ago, I'm sitting outside a market. Woman walks by, she looks at me, I look at her, and she keeps going. She comes out and we look at each other again and we say, I, I know you, don't I? And, and we put it together. And um, I said, wait a minute, I remember, you moved from New York, you found a little apartment by LeBran Wilshire. Yeah, it's like a million years before. I said, you had a brother who moved out here and stayed in your little apartment. Yeah. I said, that's what I remember. Now I'll tell you how it probably went. We dated. We slept together. I liked you a lot. I never called you back. And she said, did that really happen? I said, uh, we dated in the 70s. It happened. It happened for sure. And I said, I want you to know. And she'd never been in a four-step before. She, she remembered me. I mean, it was, it was not a, a, a relationship. It was a, it was a little bit of dating. And... I said, you know what, let me just apologize because I, in retrospect, have learned a lot about how I work. And I'm willing to bet you that that's how it unfolded. And in case it matters, it had nothing ever to do with you. In fact, if anything, it was a commentary on probably how much I liked you. And the more I liked you, the more apt I would be to want to run and hide. And uh, I just probably went away. And little by little, it looked like as she wrapped her brain, it sounded familiar to her. And so I didn't. I went and told the sponsor. It, it may have. It may have been terrible, but it, it may have even been before that. And um, you didn't remember. You didn't remember. It's a process. Uh, the, the, the reading in the other program I did this morning talked about. The, you know, it didn't use the phrases. There is no there there, and it's progress, not perfection. It did use that, but it didn't. Uh, it's the destin. It's not the destination. It's the journey. Uh, but uh, that's the way I look at this whole thing. That you know. From the Bhagavad Gita, outside stuff. On thy action, be thy focus, never on its fruit. Uh, so I have to take the action. And what happens, happens. And if I don't remember, I'm not really accountable program. Uh, it'll come up. It'll come up. Stephen. That's a great question, Stephen. Thank you. What's the most significant thing I've gotten out of this program? Um, wow. Well, at a very simple level... I've stayed in a, 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 a soberish, sanish body for more than five minutes. And at a very simplistic, a very primitive, a very superficial level, if I got nothing else, that would have been enough. But I've got a sense of self today, and it's all because of you guys. I, I mean, these are, again, um, I've got uh, hope almost always when, in the moment I may not, but I can't get off the. I can't even. I can't be on the phone with Terrell for three minutes. And I, it's not just Terrell. It's my conversations with Nick. It's my conversations over the years with Adam or Victor or Victor or Doreen or Zan. It, 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 it doesn't matter. When I'm when I, I can't stay in in that deep despair for very long because when I look into the eyes of another human being, which I can only have done here, or even metaphorically on the phone, uh, I feel seen and gotten and heard and understood. They're my fellows. I've been to meetings all over the place. I can't tell you how good I felt when I got, went to a meeting and was it uh, Maui and you were there back 25, 30 years ago, Stephen. I mean, it was nice that everybody else was there. But there's a, there's a, there's a Yiddish word or a German word called Lanzmann and it really means uh, men, people, people of the same land. And to me, Lanzmann, I used to think, drop me off anywhere on any planet. If there's a, ref- a conservative temple, I've got Lanzmann. But you know what? That may be true. If you drop me off in an OA meeting, I've been in Lumberton, Mississippi, Beckwith, Georgia, Farkakta, God knows where these places are. They've never seen a Jewish person. And you know what? 
the no mending program. There, I went to one, uh, I've been to probably five meetings in my life where there were no white people in the meeting but me. I led a meeting once at the Gay and Lesbian Center when I know I was the only straight person out of like 60 or 70 people. And I said, let me just get this out of the way. I imagine I know how you guys feel going through a regular meeting because this is really awkward. And I got that out of the way. And it was at the old center on the Highland. And everybody laughed. And the meeting, if you close your eyes, you wouldn't know if they were men or women talking. You wouldn't know if it was black or white. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter. You know. So I've gotten to see uh, um, the humanity in it all. And um, and a relationship with a higher power. I mean, I, I, I don't jump to that the way a lot of people I know do. Because I'm still wrestling with that. But that... Okay, wow. That was this. Okay, Victor... What was it? What was my higher power before? I had none. In fact, you know what? If I had any, it was thinness. The phenomenon of thinness. It was women. It was probably stuff. Those were those were the things I most valued. And you know what? I don't have as much stuff as a lot of friends. I went to law school. And five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty years after law school, these people were established, they were rich, they had bought their first home in their second home, they had bought their first car in their second car, they had their first kid in their second kid. They were rolling. And I was ten years behind them in a field which doesn't make as much money. And so I've got friends who have lots, and I have much less. And as far as I'm concerned, i got everything I need. And I really believe that. I mean, do I aspire for, I wish I had that? Of course. Of course. But, um, so that's not my higher power. I can't delude myself and think of ne- the next food, the next diet, the next woman, the next uh, car. Um, and I still live in a culture where those things are, especially the car part and the, and the houses and stuff, are valued. And I like nice stuff, but um, I get quiet. I talk to my dad. I've been going to temple lately on Friday nights. And two of the last three was because I had a, a, a yurt site, an a anniversary of a death to observe. But, I mean, they're not even my family sometimes. I go for my wife's family. If anybody here wants me to go and they're for their family, I don't care. I like what I hear there. I'm meeting nice people. I like music. I like to read the Hebrew, what little I can. I like to read the English. And it all brings me, everything is leading me. Al-Anon, Judaism, OA. I, I, I wouldn't have said this. Tell's never heard me say this probably, but it is all leading me to one thing. Uh, I know the steps are important. I know all the stuff is important, but it's all toward the God uh, uh, and a spiritual, where you get a daily reprieve predicated upon keeping that fit spiritual condition. And I, I aspire. I try. I do what I can. I was going to a meeting yesterday and I was worried about being late. And I was rushing, rushing, rushing. I see a little old man. I see, I'm in a neighborhood where I know I know one person. I hadn't seen him in years. I see a guy standing on the corner, an old man with a cane. And it was him. I stop my car. I pull over. And if any of you know Schwartzy, it was Schwartzy. I go over, he looks like an old man now, and he's walking across, and he was, I looked like he was afraid to enter the intersection because he couldn't get across. So I, I, I haven't helped an old man across the street in my life. I felt like a boy, boy scout. I went in there, he didn't even know who I was at first. I reminded him, and then we laughed all the way across the street, I don't know, whatever it took, 20, 30 minutes. And, um, uh, and I wasn't late to the meeting, and I was of service, which I don't have much of a natural inclination. I, don't, I mean, I'm a nice guy, but I don't have a natural inclination to be of service. I got, you know, important things to do, like eat and take care of me, because nobody else is going to. But that was spiritually, I mean, it made my day. My, my wife asked me how my day went, and the only thing I could think to say was, I walked across the street with Schwartzy. It's like, it felt great. It felt, it felt great. So, um, I guess that's all higher power stuff.
You sure? There's not any questions? Yeah. I think maybe I slept with you in the 70s. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have called and I apologize. <laughs> really, I should have. Uh, I should be on notice tomorrow, too. Um, I wanted to know um, what your thoughts are on in terms of working with a sponsor, what, uh, you mentioned therapy. Where do you draw the line between therapy and sponsorship? Great question about the line between therapy. I, I, I tell the guys I sponsor. In fact, there's a great story that somebody in this program tells. After years and years and years and years of coming and dropping out and coming and leaving, coming, he called me one day. He shared this from this podium a couple weeks ago. He called me and, and said, I'm ready. And I thought he meant to come to the program. I was going to meet him for coffee come to the program. He said, I want to come to your office. And I said, well, I know you. We go to coffee together. We've socialized a little bit. I won't take you as a client. And he was appalled. He said, then, F you, will you sponsor me? And I said, well, then, F you, yes. And I sponsored him for a few years. So when guys get me as their sponsor, they get a heterosexual, married, Jewish therapist. All outside stuff. But that's what they get. They get an old guy. I'm not going to see things like a 22-year-old. I'm not going to see things like a gay guy. I'm not going to see things like, I don't know, I'm doing. That's, that's, what's, that's the gestalt of who I am. And some like it. In fact, most have liked it. Some probably don't. Uh, they probably would just rather I talk about And you know what? If, if, if told that, that's, that's the rules of why I'm here. And that's the rules of why they're asking me. But So it, it's, I've had to really be careful about that. My sponsor is not here for anything but a spiritual connection and the working of the steps. That's all he's there for. That's all he's ever claimed to be there for. And that's all he wants. Thank you, guys. This is good. Thank you.